Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Sandro Forte. Welcome. Hi, Amy. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for inviting me onto your wonderful podcast. Oh, thank you. Well, likewise, I look forward to coming on your podcast one day because you've also got a great podcast. Well, you're the podcast queen. Uh, your, <laughs> your stats blow mine out of the water. So uh, I, I bow to your greater expertise. But thank oh. you. I appreciate you inviting me. Thank you. It's great. So, I heard you speak and I think one of your hats in in life is that you are a professional speaker and I was blown away because it was such a great sort of presentation. I was supposed to be on another Zoom call and I couldn't leave it. I had to sort of send apologies for the other one because you captivated us in your talk. So yeah, it's, it's one of the four hats. Would you like to share what else it is you keep yourself busy with? Well, firstly, thank you. Uh, yes, I am a professional speaker, but I don't think I'm very professional. I just get paid for it. So that makes me professional, I guess. And I'm, I'm actually very proud, Amy, of the fact that um, over the years, I seem to have um, amassed these titles, Global Speaking Fellow, founder of the Professional Speakers Association and uh, Certified Speaking Professional, which is a designation that is well recognized in America. It's taken me to 82 different countries over the years. And I've addressed, you know, audiences big and small. So that's that's a great part and very enjoyable part of what I do. Uh, my day job, uh, since I don't purport to be a full-time professional speaker, and I'm very glad I'm not a full-time professional speaker right now for obvious reasons. But my day job, I've run a financial planning wealth management business for nearly 31 years since I was 21 years of age. Uh, I've been in that business uh, and, and came into the business quite by mistake, but anyway, we'll talk about that, I'm sure. I um, have raised, I'm very proud to say, £14.2 million for charities over the years. And that took me to a point where I wanted to build my own charitable foundation. So I, so I do a lot of charitable work, both serving on two charitable boards in different parts of the world. And as I've just mentioned, having my own foundation in the UK as well. And of course, I have a podcast and the podcast came about uh, for no other reason than many of my clients on the wealth management side are quite well known. You know, they've, they've achieved extraordinary things or they've overcome incredible difficulties in life. And I kept having these meetings with them, Amy, and there was all these lovely anecdotes and stories that were just being mentioned over cups of tea uh, at these various meetings. And I thought, I've either got to write a book uh, and having already written one, and I know how difficult it is to write a book. I thought, oh, I, I don't know if I want to do that again. Uh, and then my 23-year-old son, Tom, said, why don't you do a podcast, Dad? And I said, I don't even know what a podcast is. Um, but if it's a way of getting some of these lovely stories to the general public, then then I'll start a podcast. So with his help and two other lovely friends I've got that are far more technical than me, we just threw this thing together. And, um, and here we are nearly two years on, just approaching our 100th podcast. I mean, it's been amazing and I learn something every single week when I have a new guest on and obviously looking forward to learning from you as well in due course so those are the four strings to my bow as it were I have a low boredom threshold as you can probably tell every every day uh, there's all something different going on which is what makes life such fun 
I think with the podcast, I mean, it is an absolutely magical medium to convey those stories and those conversations that would be otherwise lost. And and I know that it's something that's very important to you is leaving a legacy. And in fact, I think a podcast is a wonderful way to leave a legacy because you can get so much more information out there in in a, a way that is you, you know, more so than a book, because it is, you, it is your voice, which is fantastic. Well, I guess if you ever listen to one of the podcasts, uh, you will conclude quite quickly that I'm no Piers Morgan. But I think the the very best podcasts are the ones where you just get talking to somebody and you don't have to, you don't have to go deep dive into somebody's personal life. You can just, you can find out a lot about somebody just by asking them about their background, like you've just asked me and just kind of taking an interest in them, almost like you were sitting in a pub having a glass of wine and just talking and, and the things you find out in even 30 minutes is quite extraordinary. I'm, I'm finding stuff out about people I've known for 20, 30 years uh, in a 30 minute podcast. So I, I've never really thought about the legacy thing, but I suppose once once you're on iTunes, you're on iTunes. There's not very much you can do about it. So um, yeah, I haven't thought about the legacy in terms of the podcast, but um, you know, we get lots of emails about people who say either, thank you, you've given me the lift I needed, or I've found a direction now that I didn't have before, or I was having a really bad day and I just feel better about myself. The, the sole intention of that podcast series was only to primarily help younger people. That's where it was originally aimed. Uh, just to kind of get, get out of that place in life where sometimes they just get a bit stuck. They've got a great idea. They just don't know how to get started. They don't know how to form a plan, crystallize those goals in their minds, maybe raise some money, whatever. It's just the the little toolkit for success in life. And every single guest says quite similar things, but in different ways. So what one person says resonates far more, obviously, than what somebody else might say. And yet they might be saying the same thing. So, um, yeah, it's been a really fascinating journey. I'm not sure I'll be doing it in five years time because it takes up a lot of time. But it's um, but it's tremendous, and I enjoy it very much. And I've met lots of new people as well, which is great. And what does it mean to you to receive those messages? Well, you know, obviously, I started. I fund everything myself. I, I derive no commercial benefit from it. I I've stayed true to my uh, desire to help people. So when you get a message of either hope from somebody or just um, some sort of confirmation that you're doing the right thing. And even if it's by one person, you you know, you're a speaker as well, Amy. So you know that if you stand in front of an audience of 15,000 people, but you change the life of one person, that is incredibly fulfilling. I mean, I, my day job, the wealth management space, a lot of people rightly criticize financial advisors for being very transactional and very income driven, don't really care about the client and, and service. And that's actually the platform that helped me launch my business was almost doing the opposite of what the stereotype would lead us to believe is is that kind of the archetypal financial advisor. But when you are stood on a stage, obviously you'd love to change the lives of 15,000 people, but that's never going to happen because the way we are built as human beings means that statistically it will not happen. Like people signing up to go to the gym on the 1st of January and quitting by the 17th. I think 50% of people have quit by the 17th and I think it's 75% of the people by the end of the month. And that's because life gets in the way, you know, motivation levels drop and so on. So if you can if you can help one person who writes you a message and says, you've really helped me, you're very kind to, you know, to talk about the presentation I gave to the Professional Speakers Association a couple of weeks back. 
And you know, I had lots of messages, but one's lovely. If you can get if you can get half a dozen, then that's then that's fantastic. So the real the real reason why I do these things is because so few people, frankly, are doing anything to really make a difference in the world. And when you wake up in the morning and you are lucky enough to be able to eat something for breakfast and you've woken up in your own bed with a roof over your head and you probably go to work at some point during the day, you are statistically in the top 2% of wealth or wealthy people in the entire world. So from a perspective perspective, um, it's very important to realize that the people like us who are privileged enough to be able to make a difference I think in some ways we have a duty to make a difference if we can, even if it's to one person. And how is your duty going to roll out? Well, um, as you can probably tell, I have a rather low boredom threshold. My, my you know, I, I, I see people sitting in the street in London. I'm, I'm in London a lot. That's where my office is based and many of my clients. Um, and sometimes I see people sitting in doorways and they are struggling for a meal They've probably spent that night in the doorway. And I realise not all of them are genuine, but the reality is that it doesn't take two minutes out of my day to buy them a sandwich from, you know, a well-known sandwich shop. And it doesn't take me, and it's not going to hurt me by dropping a pound into their, into their bucket. I will never see that person again, but I know for the rest of the day, I have done something to enhance somebody's life in some way. Whatever they do with that money, whatever they do with that sandwich, I mean, really... I'm not going to stop and think about that too much. And I think that's another point, really, which is sometimes we kind of overthink things. I, I talked a couple of weeks ago when, when we were first introduced that too many people focus on the outcome instead of the process, focusing on the things you can control. So the direct answer to your question is, you know, I don't know what the future holds. What I do know is I am uh, right from a very early age, Amy. I, I lost my father when I was nine years old. My mother was widowed at the age of 29. She had four children. She was declared bankrupt within two years of my father's death, having, having the perfect life up until that point. Um, and so I think it was kind of incumbent upon me to be the, the provider. I've always been, from a personality profiling perspective, I've always been the fixer, always been the helper. So I think there's a kind of an, an innate sense that I have that I, that I need to help people. But underpinning that is a real desire to do it. And the reason why is because I am so astonishingly privileged when I consider, you know, I'm not uber wealthy, but I own my own home and a couple of other places, one abroad, which is lovely. I've worked really hard, but I am so incredibly privileged. And when you see, I, I, with, together with a couple of friends, we built a, uh, a playground in Indianapolis, which doesn't sound like the, the most impoverished of places, but in, incredibly, even in Indianapolis, there are some really, really tough areas where kids have never seen a playground before. And when you see 30 kids come running out of their houses to play for the first time in their lives on a playground that you've built, that's pretty amazing. When you feed a million people, a charity that I'm on the board for, we literally packaged a million meals inside a week and fed a million people. And that is, I mean, that's astonishing. I, I, it's very difficult to describe what it does for oneself when you can go to bed at night knowing you've made such a difference to so many people in, in so many different parts of the world. So, so that, that why perspective for me, it's a way of, it makes me who I am, it fuels what I do, it motivates me every day. 
And as I said, I come back to that word, which is very important and is and its perspective. When you can see up close and personal what people go through in life, and then you look at yourself in the mirror, it's it's almost impossible not to be motivated to help somebody. And how are you work using your financial services work to sort of inspire or to motivate other people right now? Well, I, um, I do a lot of, uh, I guess, using my speaking experience, I do a lot of training and coaching in the world of financial planning in, in lots of different parts of the world. And I'm often wheeled in by companies to help other advisors understand the importance of relationships. And right now, you know, um, if you build great relationships with people, if you take the trouble to phone somebody, and I'm not just talking about financial planning here for one second, I'm talking about just any connection that you have. If you take this moment, which is an unprecedented moment in our history, and you take the trouble to pick up the phone and say, hi, Amy, how are you doing? Is there anything I can do to help you? How's the family? Those are the relationships that last forever. The ones that don't are the ones where people are looking for the opportunity to sell something or buy something or, again, go, to, go back to that other word that I've mentioned a couple of times, which is very transactional. Um, this is the moment where we have a unique opportunity to build amazing relationships with people. And I, and I, whilst I obviously, I'm very aware of the tragic loss of life around the world. Uh, and I guess if we could all turn back the clock, we would, but so much great opportunities come out of this situation as well. And I think that's the bit I try to focus on is how do we benefit from what's happened and everything from the theory around the weather being nice uh, because of this clearing of pollution to that human interaction and the moment where probably for the first time in many of our lives, we take an opportunity to take a step back and just go, okay, what, what was working in my life before? What wasn't working in my life before? And for me personally, I look back now with some shame thinking I used to spend sometimes four, five, six hours a day on the M1 driving backwards and forwards to London or on a train. And I, you know, I wasn't working particularly effectively. I've had a unique opportunity to, reset my clock and I'm I'm definitely not going back to the way it was before that's for sure so this is a moment where if we haven't done some something philanthropic made a new friend developed a new opportunity launched an idea it wasn't it wasn't down to a lack of time it was down to a lack of discipline that's the reality I totally agree with you and and it's a it's been interesting to see the sort of divide of how people have responded over these last few weeks. And, and a lot of people have been operating from fear and a lot of people have been operating from opportunity and and sort of the reflection. I think that that's a, a big thing is to reflect on what it is you're doing and why you're doing it. I mean, this is the premise of the podcast. This is the, what I launched purely because of having time and then realizing that there are people in life who were thriving and, and I wanted to identify them and show them to the world that this is what they're doing and this is why they're doing it and it you know you're, you're one of those people well I think that I mean it's not maybe a very good analogy but since I know it so well I, I'll just liken it a little bit to investing in the stock market people say can't possibly invest in the stock market now because you know all these companies are doing so badly that's true but for every company that's doing badly, another one is thriving. It just means that the FTSE 100 will, will change its players. You know, we won't have the same 100 companies. But you know what? That's not a bad thing. And the same thing is true of life. You know, there, there were winners three months ago and they're not winning anymore. Some of the other people who were really struggling now have an opportunity because of a business they've created or 
uh, this fantastic opportunity to invest into a market. And I'm not just talking about investing, but to seize opportunities where the price of things is lower, uh, things can happen so much more uh, quickly and more effectively. You know, the fact that I'm running a business from home 10 times more effectively than I was three months ago, I mean, is extraordinary to me. But I, but I do really believe, I, I really sincerely believe that on the reverse of every challenge in life, there is an opportunity. You just have to flip it 180 degrees and look on the other side. Because too many of us focus on what we see in front of us instead of analyzing the challenge and just going, okay, that as it stands is, is a bit of a problem, is a bit of a challenge, bit of a roadblock. But how can I find my way around it? How can I use that to my advantage? And you know, maybe you can't do it on your own, but the reason why we have people like you running great podcasts and the reason why you know, we have networks and friendships and family is because we can, we can find solutions together with other people. So I, I do strongly encourage people whenever I travel around the world and speak to audiences or just within my own family unit or my own team in the business. I, I do believe there's always a solution to a, to a challenge or to a problem. You just got to be prepared to, uh, to put in the hard yards to find it. Absolutely. And Financial services, you've mentioned you've been doing that since you were fairly young. What what led you into financial services? <laughs> uh, honestly, a desire to pay off my student overdraft. I was um, I really fancied myself as an actor. I went to uh, to Birmingham, did a university English and drama degree, spent some time at drama school. Twenty one years old, looked about fourteen. The good the good news there was that um, I got all the young male leads in all the all the plays that were being done at the time. I did a, a bit with the Royal Shakespeare Theatre, uh, did a couple of movies. So it all looked pretty good, but I've always been really honest with myself and I just didn't fancy living in a damp, squalid bedsit in London on 140 quid a week, turning up every night to perform as part of a chorus in, in a show called Anything Goes, which Elaine Page was in at the time. And I just took a st- step back and just thought, is, is this really what I want? Um, Now, a couple of things from that. Number one, I've always kept my equity card because I I refuse to accept the fact that I'm a a failed actor. I still actually have my equity card, so I pay my membership every year. And who knows? You know, I have have produced a movie in the last few years. I still keep my hand in and I still have a a great love of the theatre and musicals and stuff like that. But I was looking for a job because I had an overdraft. I'd uh, obviously when I was at university, I saw as many people... Uh, do money is a bit of a target so I had a had a you know got my grant in right how do I spend this and and oftentimes it was down the pub so I had to pay off my overdraft and I was scratching around looking for some work and my auntie uh, my late father's sister who took over his restaurant business after he died said oh well you know I've got a, a flat and uh, I rented out and there's this guy who's just started this IFA business and I had no idea what one of those was and so anyway, went to see him and, and God love him, he offered me a job uh, as nothing more than an admin clerk, really, shuffling papers and making a few phone calls. And after about six months, he said to me, oh, do you know what? I think you've got the kind of personality that would uh, you you'd do well in this business. And I thought that is a salesman trying to, trying to make a sale here. So anyway, I kind of went with it. He gave me a few of his clients. But one of the things that happened was over the next four years that I worked with him, and although I didn't like... Who, who he was in terms of his day job. He's a nice enough guy, but he was very transactional. It was all about him and not about the client. And, and that was 
that, that was the embryonic idea for an amazing business because all I saw, all the, all the local uh, regional financial services meetings at the time were people doing the same thing. They were celebrating how financially successful they were, who had the flashiest car, who had the biggest house. And look, I'm not, you know, we live in a capitalist society and I, I kind of get all that, but it really wasn't who I was and it wasn't what I wanted. I want to serve people. I want to change people's lives. And, you know, a bit like the medical profession, financial planning, actually, if you drill it down, literally can change people's lives. You can create financial security. You can ensure kids go to private school if that's what they want. You can prevent families falling apart if the breadwinner dies like my father did, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many, so many different ways that you can use knowledge to really enhance people's lives and, and lifestyles. So I built a business literally from my very first house that I bought, uh, converted the garage into a makeshift office. I had no prospects, no contacts. Tony and I separated on, on not particularly great terms because I didn't like the way he was doing things. So there I was, uh, just threw open my doors, had an idea, no plan, and just thought, well, you know, sink or swim. So I just started making loads and loads and loads of phone calls. The, the metaphorical begging bowl came out a little bit. But, you know, after a fairly tough couple of years, where and it was tough, you know, I think we're probably one of the most highly regarded financial planning businesses in the UK. You know, 30 years in the business without a client complaint and um, the only one that operates under a service charter doing all the things that I, I think should be written on the tin, really. So it's been, um, and I love, I absolutely love it. I, I have to say when I started, I just thought well, this is just a way of getting by until I find the, the acting job or something else comes along. And, um, and sometimes you don't have to have a plan. Sometimes you just try lots of different things and you stumble across something and go, wow, this is me. This is, this is what I was, I was built to do. And, and that's, that's what happens. It's nothing more complicated than that. And how do you sort of involve all the, the charitable side of things? I mean, raising 14.2 million, that's a lot of money. That must take a lot of your time as well. Uh, well, part of the reason I'm five foot nine uh, is because I've run a couple of London marathons. I was six foot two when I started. That They were brutal, let me tell you. But I've cycled from Olympic Park to Amsterdam via France and Belgium. That was probably more brutal. Um, I've done all sorts of crazy stuff, but I, I served on the board of the uh, NSPCC's full stop campaign some years ago. That was where a lot of money was raised. We raised seven points, just over seven million pounds. Uh, and I'm not sure if you're aware of what that was, but it was a division of the NSPCC, which was designed to help take conviction rates from children in respect to children who'd been abused, where historically they had to go to court to give evidence oftentimes in front of their attacker, which meant that children generally weren't giving or weren't able or willing to give evidence or were giving very shaky evidence. And so the, the number of acquittals was you know, worryingly high. So the Full Stop campaign uh, created this structure whereby uh, in the comfort of a separate room with closed circuit television, they could give evidence. And the, the number of convictions rose from something like 8% to in excess of 70, which is obviously amazing. Uh, beyond that, as I said, I've built playgrounds and fed lots of people. Um, but obviously, number one, I've written a book. So all the money from the book goes to charity. I continue to do at least two or three crazy things every single year. I'm very lucky that um, 
many of my clients on the financial services side are very wealthy or they're well known and they very generously back me to do these silly things. So actually, although 14 million pounds sounds like a lot of money, if you really stop to think about, you know, the length of time I've been doing it for, which is more than nearly 25 years, kind of divide it up. You know, I still, I still know it's a lot of money, but um, it's not been without the help of lots and lots of other people and the generosity of some very wealthy people. But also, you know, um, the general public, you know, when we when you set up a Just Giving page, I'm, I'm as grateful to receive five pounds as I am 50,000 pounds because once again, perspective, it's all relative. So anybody that does anything, takes any kind of positive action to help the well-being of another human being in my book is, is a fantastic person. So all I've done is, you know, perhaps a bit more than some, but not nearly as much as many others. So again, it's um, 14 million pounds is a lot if you think about it. But when I look at some of the things that other people have done, I think, gosh, I've still got such a long way to go. And, and that's the fun bit, the, the growing and the, and the sort of new stuff all the time. I, I, one of the things I would say is I'm very careful to, you know, to help charities where I can kind of see that a difference is being made. I mean, my father passed away from cancer, but I, but I struggle with the really, really large organisations where you kind of just feel you're throwing money into this bottomless pit. And I know research and all the rest of it is very important. But, you know, I've, I've supported Battersea Dogs and Cats Home. I, I offer a scholarship to uh, a RADA acting student every year. The last one, actually, that's really come, kind of come good is a lady called Jessie Buckley. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, look her up. She's done some extraordinary things already. So I, obviously, I take full credit for discovering Jessie. But um, no, there's, there's a good example of a, a young, talented lady who comes from Ireland, throws herself into London. Her family can't afford her tuition fees. Um, so it needs somebody to to help discover that talent. And, and if it's not for people who are willing to help another person, we don't find the Jesse Buckleys. We don't, you know, these these great opportunities, great individuals, these great businesses just don't get born. So, you know, I'm not on a crusade to change the world, Amy. I mean, that's not going to happen in 10 lifetimes. But at the same time, I don't think we should leave this life looking back and going, well, you know, I wouldn't have made a difference anyway, because I just fundamentally believe that that's not the case. Anybody can make a difference on a, on a bigger or a smaller scale. And with your book that you wrote, who was that for? Uh, well, funnily enough, um, when I was building that business out of the converted garage, um, after about five years, because of the exponential growth of that business, the same people who had previously invited to those regional meetings talking about the flashy cars and the big houses, we're now taking an interest in this guy, this young guy who had created this business where people kind of migrating towards accountants, solicitors, well-known individuals, sports stars, celebrities, uh, even royal, even two royal families. And they were kind of going, how, how does all this work? So they invited me to go to all these regional events. I started telling my story. And then somebody came up to me one day and said, you have to put this in a book. So um, if anybody throws down a challenge to me, it's like a red rag to a bull. Amy so it's like you can't run a London marathon yes I can uh you can't feed a million people yes I can so I decided I was going to write a book is it a literary classic absolutely not many people have told me it's great for keeping drafts away from under doors and it's good for uh correcting wonky tables but it was written and the thing I'm pr proudest about in respect to this book is not the content which was primarily aimed at people 
starting business in financial services, but it's it's a very generalist book, so you can apply it to any business, frankly. The fact that I wrote it is the thing I'm the proudest of because so many people say, I've got a goal, I've got an aspiration, this is what I'm going to do, and they never get around to doing it. And I have these two words, two words that kind of form a mantra by which I live. And that's, and that's this, it's discipline and regret. Both of those two things are very painful, but if you don't do the first one in life, you're always gonna get the second one by definition. So I'd much rather have the discipline to do something and follow through than I would have the, the pain of the regret looking back. So in other words, if you're gonna suffer pain, you may as well do it once rather than twice. So just, just following through on an action, it's extraordinary what happens. You know, I don't possess, I'm just an average Joe. I'm, I'm a bang average guy doing some fairly average things. But the one thing I do is I follow through on everything. If I make a promise, I see it through. If I set a goal, I, I give it my all. And I'm, I will not lie down until either I realise it wasn't a very good goal in the first place or I've done it. And it, that's, that's a very simple mantra by which I live. And it's amazing how many great things come out of life when you just take positive action. I know that sounds really trite, but so few people do, Amy, that's the problem. I know loads of people with gazillions of goals, amazing goals, apps now where you can list your bucket items uh, about all the things you're going to do in your life. I think, frankly, I think they're a waste of time because all it is is just a set of dreams that are going to frustrate the heck out of you if you don't do them, which most people don't. So where did you get this drive from? It, that's difficult to say. Uh, the only thing I can help you with on that one is when I was nine years old and my dad died, I was in a school assembly at the time and my mum appeared at the back of the room and I, I wasn't, we'd not been aware that he'd been so ill with cancer for two years, kept disappearing and my mum kept saying he was going to a health farm and all the things you say to young kids. So there I am, nine years old, my mum appears at the back of school assembly and I, I knew straight away that something was wrong. I was taken to the headmaster's office and um, that was when my mum told me that my dad had died. As we were walking out of the uh, headmaster's office, she said to me, you're the man of the house now. And on one level, it was a real burden for a nine-year-old to be the man of the house when his siblings were all younger than him. You know, my, my youngest sibling, my brother, was three at the time. My mum's 29. Um, you know, we live in this big house. We're bankrupt within a couple of years, living in a council house. And all of that time I was growing up, I, I kind of heard these words in my head that I was the provider. I was the supplier. I was the person who had to hold it all together, like, you know, like parents do. So on one hand, a bit of a burden. On the other hand, it, it created in me a drive and a determination uh, and a need you know, a need is a very important part of this. We can all want things, but you've got to have to, you've got to want, you've got to need them as well. So I think that um, that drive came from a sense of obligation, maybe. But looking back, although I didn't have much of a childhood in my teenage years, I was working in the family business to help my auntie keep it afloat two hours before school, two hours after school, all my summer holidays. I didn't really have that, that kind of stereotypical days in the park kind of. Um, childhood certainly not my teenage years but looking back I mean what an amazing what an amazing school schooling I had in life and work ethic and getting things done because you can't you can't live up a goal list when you're having to look after 
three younger brothers and sisters. My mum then remarried when I was 13, um, but it took my stepfather a couple of years to, you know, kind of get comfortable with the family and us with him. Then they had another daughter. He brought two from his first marriage. So seven kids and, and two adults crammed in a tiny little house. But I wouldn't, I look back now and I'm, I'm somebody, I've never lived with regret. That's the thing I'm, I really like. Don't, don't ever look back and say, I wish I'd done this and I wish I'd done that. So people say to me, oh gosh, you know, I, if your dad hadn't died, what, what if? Well, if my dad hadn't died, I'd probably be running a restaurant in Western Supermare, probably struggling to make ends meet because that's just the way the restaurant cafe business has gone in, in the provincial towns like Western Supermare. And it's difficult to see what my what kind of career path I'd have taken, where my life would be right now. Would I be raising money for charities, written a book, speaking around the world, meeting some amazing people? Probably no. So I think you just have to take life as you find it, accept, accept the cards you're dealt. Uh, you can choose to look at it positively or you can choose to look at it negatively. I really can't stand spending time with members of what I call the discouragement club. These are the group of people that you meet, you know, in the office, in the street, and they just seem to be happy complaining. That's, that's kind of right why they're on this earth. It's just to moan about everything. Um, so I just disconnect from those people and I focus on working and spending time with people who see the world and life as I do. It's a pretty simple philosophy, really. And something that you mentioned earlier is about focusing on on the process and not the outcome and, and not being transactional and having those perspectives. I think that's that's really relationships being the most important of everything and being very meaningful. Yeah, I think um, yeah, the, you know, you, there's loads of examples, Amy, here from a relationship perspective. A lot of people um, are, are kind of planning you know, an event, let's say getting married or having kids. And, and they're really, really so obsessed with an event in the future. They, they forget to focus on the, on the here and now. And relationships are a daily process, an hourly process. In, in my world, there are many things I can't control. I can't control whether somebody just wants to do business with me or not. Uh, I can't control whether somebody wants to engage me as a speaker or not. I can't control whether somebody likes my book or not. But that's the bit I've I've learned to, to live without. I don't care about the outcome in many ways. My job, let's take financial planning as an example. My job is to communicate my message. Here's how I can help you. Like a doctor prescribes medicine, the doctor cannot control whether the patient takes that medicine or not. But as long as the doctor hasn't sent the patient away with a flea in his ear for wasting his time and has done everything he or she possibly can do to create the right environment for that person to thrive, then that is the obligation I have to other people, whether it's personal relationships, whether it's professional relationships. If you can focus on that minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day process, I honestly believe everything else takes care of itself. It's just as night follows day, outcomes happen as long as you take care of the steps to get you there. And it's the discipline that keeps you on track. Yeah, and, and and that's not easy. You know, goal goal setting, goal achievement, uh, the motivation to stay fit and healthy, the motivation to to enhance relationships, whether they be personal or business, the motivation to follow through on some of your promises, to keep your word, to be a good human being. Not easy, not easy, because stuff gets in the way. You know, it's it's life, and and we get distracted, and things happen, and. You fall off the, the wagon occasionally. 
that that's part of being you know a human being but i think those are the moments where you just have to reconnect with the basics you know i matter everyone matters to a greater or lesser extent everyone has a place i believe in life all those people out there are I'll, I'll never find somebody i'm single never find somebody don't believe that there is a there is a place and a person for everyone and i think everybody adds value to the world in which we live just a question of finding that that position but the important thing as i said before is you know don't look back in five years time and think god do you know what if only i if only i'd done this those those you know if only i had if that ever starts a sentence i mean it's um it's something you should should you should be heavily critical of yourself for because everyone has the same opportunity you don't have to procrastinate that's simply a choice so um I'm, I'm so I know I'm giving you lots of long, very long-winded answers. No, that's the plan. <laughs> loads, of stuff, loads of stuff going on up here, um, Amy. But at least you're at least you're not getting yeses and nos. Absolutely, and it's clear that these are the types of messages that you're traveling the 82 countries to to share with people because you're very passionate about it. Yeah, as I said, you know, if you get um, a nice text message or a social media message or an email from somebody who says. I was really struggling to get out the starting blocks in life. You've given me something, whether it's a practical tool or a mindset change that's really helped me to move to a better place. My relationship's better as a result or my business is flying now because of something you said. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, as I mentioned also, outside of the medical profession, it's difficult to think of professions uh, outside of financial planning, uh, good financial planning, I mean, and professional speaking podcasts you know these are the things we we think that you know it's only the heart surgeons of the world that save people's lives i don't believe that for one second you know a really good podcast uh or a really good book or a really good speech a really good idea that you share with somebody that pound you drop in somebody's cap on the street or the sandwich you buy them you may never you may never see what happens but that ripple effect where it maybe generates and creates kindness in someone else um, I have this I have this little idea that I've lived by for probably 20 years, and it's called a circle of five. So I try to always have two people above me on the ladder in life. And whether that's measured by success or wealth or um, just the fact that I admire them as amazing people, they are people I aspire to be. And then below me on the on the ladder are two people that I know are trying to get up the ladder as well. So I all, I always have this constant push-pull, which creates that perspective. There's a lot of people who've done extraordinarily well and they just know they're at the top of the ladder and they, they're not prepared to look up anymore. They just look down. And I think when that happens, you become very self-centered, very narcissistic. And I, I, I think it changes a lot of people. I won't give you any names, but we all know the kinds of people I'm talking about. But I think as long as you've got, as long as you're in the middle of that circle where there's two people you always aspire to be, whether it's you want to be a better golfer, play with people who are significantly better than you, but drag a couple of people along that want to be better too, because that way you always feel you're learning and teaching at the same time, which is a great balancer to make you a, a whole human being, which I think is also very important. I love that. I have, I've not heard it being described like that before. And I think it's really lovely, especially the circle, because the circle is a continuous thing. So it's a constant energy flow. And you change places. I mean, that's what inevitably happens. So you either move up or down the, the ladder. But even if you move down, there's a, that's because you've helped somebody else rise up or you might take over the person in front of you. But as long as you always keep at least two people in ahead of you and two people behind you, as it were, 
you, you never go very far wrong. And you mentioned the sort of influences and, and people who have inspired you in the past. Have there been any particular books that have really been light bulb moments for you? I'll be really honest. I'm not a great book reader. That, and that's just a time thing. I'm starting to learn to deal with ebooks slightly better than I did before. Uh, that said, I've probably read a couple of hundred books over the years, but over you know a career spanning 30 years, that's probably not a lot. I, there was one guy, um, and if there's anyone listening who is a, a mum or a dad or even a child, I got to know him really well, actually. I heard him do a speech. It's got to be 25 years ago. His name is Rob Parsons, and he's written a series of books called The 60 Minute and it's either the 60-minute father, the 60-minute mother, the 60-minute marriage, and even one of his children has now written a 60-minute book about parenthood. And they are designed to be read in an hour, which is great for somebody who's as busy as I am. They were, and I won't give it away, I would actively encourage people to read one of those books, wherever they are, whoever they are, child, mother, brother, sister, doesn't really matter. Choose the one that most clearly resonates with you and have a read. Some of the, some of the takeaways in those books are amazing. Um, the one that always stood out for me, and I'm, you know, I'm a very proud father of 23-year-old twin children, and the one that always stood out for me is that children don't spell love, L-O-V-E. Children spell love, T-I-M-E. And that really helped me to focus on getting away from all these excuses we inevitably make to our kids where mummy or daddy is just going to work because, 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 you know, because this is why we live in a big house. This is why you get a nice holiday. Children don't care about stuff like that. You know, I didn't care about stuff like that when I was when I was younger. And I think that's another thing that we find it very easy to lose sight of is the, the disconnect between what we want or what we think we want and what other people want. And that's why communication is a very important thing in families and communities. Um, very often we kind of go off at tangents thinking we're all heading in the same direction. But, you know, sometimes again, a moment like this in our history gives us a chance to check in, reconnect, align our thoughts and visions. So yeah, I, that would be the one book that I would say has really stood out. There's, there's, all the, there's all the books that you'd expect me to come out with, you know, the seven habits and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but no, that, that's probably the one that most resonated with me because it's written by a, a lovely down to earth human being who isn't a professional speaker. He's not a prolific author. He's just been a very good observer of life. So I, I, that would be the one I'd stand out for me. Fantastic. And talking about connection, how do people get hold of you or, or follow you? Well, having a name like <laughs> Alessandro Marco Forte, except I don't use that very often because people uh, are, are rather disappointed when they see uh, me expecting a six foot two inch dark Italian looking guy. I've got I've got the nose and the eyebrows. That's about all I can I can say. So Sandro Forte is what everyone knows me as. So inevitably, Sandro Forte and all the social media channels, I have Forte Financial is the name of my wealth management business. So that's easy enough to find. On, the, on Instagram, it's the real Sandro Forte because somebody stole Sandro Forte and I still haven't tracked down who it is. Uh, and Facebook. It's, so basically, everything is Sandro Forte. SandroForte.com is the speaking website. So yeah, if you put Sandro Forte into the search engine, you will find me. Fantastic. Well, I'll put all of those in the show notes just so people can get the links easier. And one final message from you before we say, well, I'll say thank you, but before we say goodbye. Um, yeah, well, thank you. I mean, I can't believe where the time's gone. I, I think in closing, all I would say is that back to that discipline regret thing, you know, everyone has a place in, in life. 
we can all make a difference to a greater or lesser extent, but a difference we definitely can make, whether that's, you know, some of the basic values, please and thank you and show up on time and follow through on your promises to making charitable donations or supporting somebody else who's doing something amazing, uh, picking up the phone, saying hi to people, how are you? These all sound like really, really insignificant tasks, but they're so easy to do, it's easy to lose sight of them. So I would, I would encourage people to go back to some of those real basic things, follow through, and just remember that discipline rep thing. Just don't look back on any part of your life and go, if only I'd done that, because I can't think of anything more frustrating. So that would be my, that would be my uh, recommended mantra to live by, if anybody wants my advice. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star iTunes review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of the inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.